relax, you got nothing to lose. What do you think? I'm about to show you. The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Deadly. Only a movie, you can say it again. Just wait till you see what I did at the end. The female of the species is more deadly than a male. How do I sound, by the way? I also feel like my voice is completely shot. I sound, <clears throat> I don't know why. I think you sound a little sultry. I do. Yeah, we're I think get it's acid reflux and crying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm suffering for my art, people. I hope you like it. My sexy acid reflux voice. <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed exclusively by women-identified directors, which prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast where we celebrate the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me back, back, back again, one of my favorite people, the always lovely, so warm, so smart, Hopefully has lots of smart things to say today. <laughs> the one and only Ariel. Hello. It's so much pressure. But thank you for the compliments. I'm I appreciate piling it. on the pressure, girl. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. It is it's Pride so Month, girl. I know. I know. Are you doing anything to celebrate or anything exciting on the Pride front for you? No, but here in Portland, they're doing the Pride Parade in July this this year for oh, some reason. Oh, look at them. They're always like, they just got to be a little different, you know? <laughs> right. They're like, they, even when they're non-conformist, stuff can't be conformant. Like, it must con double. <laughs> it, is that like a double negative, though? Like, if you non-conform a non-conformist thing, are you actually conformist? Ooh, mm -hmm. tricky. I don't even smoke weed and I come up with good ideas like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it is Pride Month here. We are celebrating a little bit more cloaky. There's been a lot of like, we won't go into our backstory, but there's been a lot going on behind the scenes that yes. have um, meant that we did not have the time uh, to dedicate to it like we normally do, but we're still celebrating in our way. One way of which, of course, is we're going to be covering a queer horror film today. But also, Ariel, as our social media guru, what are we doing to celebrate Pride on, on the social media front? So every Friday this month, we have been doing a follow Friday on our social media to let everybody know about queer horror creators that we want you guys to check out and look at their content. There are so many amazing queer people yeah, in this are. space. Like, I mean, there is something about queerness and horror, like chocolate and peanut butter. It just goes together. Yes. So I'm not that surprised that there are a bunch of queerdos <laughs> out there that are enjoying the genre. But I feel like when we first started podcasting, that was not true. So no. it's good to see how much the numbers have like grown over the years. No, it was it was very much like a cis male space. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of a male party. Street, a little bit of a sausage <laughs> fist and not the cool gay kind. <laughs> but you know what? That's okay. We welcome everyone, including straight white dudes. Yes. <laughs> even, even though they are allowed to be fans of horror, we're going to, we'll, we'll throw them a bone. You know, it's, it's about time. It's about time that they got a break. As far as, you know. <laughs> I am in a weird mood today. I know I, I know. say that every time, but like we record on Friday. 
and and by the end of the week <laughs> i am and it, i'm it's I been could, a day it's i don't week. know I'm that on... i could be fit to stand trial <laughs> no i think we're in one of those places where you and i are just like you know volleying the single brain cell back and forth between right. us right right yeah. that poor brain cell is working overtime <laughs> and it will be working overtime tonight because i feel like this is a movie we got to dig pretty deep into i know into. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so okay you know i always need a little update anything crazy happening on your weird sex cult neighborhood front yeah uh nothing that interesting i have oh, not great. really been home awesome. the last few weeks so <laughs> there has there have not been many like viewings but i have okay. two things to tell you oh okay okay yes i love an update yes, yes, yes. <laughs> first of all my okay. sexaholic upstairs neighbor uh-huh moved out i thought you were gonna say you proposed damn it <laughs> He moved out. Yeah, he's gone. He okay. left. It's been two blissfully peaceful weeks of not hearing him doing is the nasty this, upstairs. <laughs> is this a case of like the devil you know? Like who knows what freak show is about to move in up there? I know. Because do you remember when I first moved in here and it was just like an elderly couple that like yeah, once a month heaven. would have very loud sex Ooh. to weird music? Um, that was fine. Like I thought that was kind of bad. But like then sex the werewolves. moved in and it was so much worse. <laughs> sex werewolves. Oh my God. <laughs> so, okay. So if that's your trajectory, you went from sex werewolves to elderly sex werewolves to like weird weekly sex guy what yeah. is you know what that means like it's only increasing in frequency so Ooh. i'm hoping yeah. it's gonna stay vacant for a while okay like what could i do to make nobody want to rent that apartment <laughs> without getting myself evicted Ooh, now is the time to get in there and set up some sort of like fake haunting apparatus oh my gosh yes right like let's something i could attach it. to my ceiling that would like do something to the apartment and make them think it was haunted yes you need like a like a speaker or something yeah. something like or like something that could create like inf what is that infrasound so just when they go in they can't really hear it but it's just <laughs> right. like spooky doings and bad but vibes feel weird yeah 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 maybe that's how we keep it open it was like we what else could we do i saw this like tiktok of this woman who was like, my husband does not know that you can speak through the ring, like the ring <laughs> camera. Uh -huh. And so he was like sitting on the couch with his two dogs and she started to be like, get out. <laughs> and he like grabs the dogs and runs. <laughs> like, how can we recreate that for you? But with people, whenever you hear people coming to look at the apartment. I don't know. I got to brainstorm, come up with something. What would be something that would really turn a Portlander off? of living in an apartment could you be like that's a good question i feel the kombucha like is com i don't know is bad here i am <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of voodoo donuts i don't know oh, <laughs> like, god <laughs> yeah let's revisit let's yeah, let's take some time listeners do you have some ideas how do we keep the apartment above aerials empty we're, yeah. we're soliciting ideas. We're working with a small budget. Yes, we have a patron. patron in fact, <laughs> become a patron so that we can right. pump up our, <laughs> our budget. We can invest in some equipment to make yeah. people think my apartment's haunted. Exactly. <laughs> or their exactly. apartment is haunted. Exactly. See, look at this. We're problem solving. We're raising funds. Yeah. Look at us go. Yeah. Okay. So my other piece of good news. Oh, I like good news. Somebody All right. else moved. 
um, out of my apartment complex. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) So there's this elderly gentleman who lives in one of the other buildings that I'm friends with. And I was talking to him the other night and he was saying that somebody just moved out of his building and he was really happy about it because he had accidentally caught them sunbathing remember the sunbathing couple apparently they are it's the naked couple oh no (laughs) yeah i'm so So i was not the only one who accidentally walked upon them yeah i don't think it's an accident if you live in a populated area and you're getting naked like it's one thing if it were on there it was like in their like patio or something and you were the apartment above and you look down that's one thing but if you're doing it in a common space you're just you're just a, <laughs> you're, you're just an exhibitionist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, to each their own. That's not my kink. Never. It, never <laughs> could not be me. But <laughs> the never nude doesn't want to be caught nude. Although here's the dangerous thing, right? Like okay. a couple years ago, hated hiking. A couple years oh, ago, hated soup. That's true. A couple years ago, hated being on camera. True. And now Does you have mean? to be on camera all the time. And I eat, I'm eating soup tonight eating soup by choice. Like, Tomorrow, already have a hike planned. So what does next, that mean? Then nudity. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, feel, I don't know which one is worse. <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, like, I think, yeah, like, am I going to end up, you know, in five years from now with a pet spider? I don't know. No, oh, I absolutely so. not. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Matilda would be so happy. <laughs> no. I know. She keeps offering to, like, try to... <laughs> Point me in the direction of resources to go with that. Uh, and I'm like, no, I'm fine. Although, my new place, uh-huh. Black Widow in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, they have those in California. It was terrifying. Oh, it, I'm sorry. It was not great. I was not happy. They're so scary. Yeah. They Honestly, the only time I've been evil. scared of spiders was in Missouri because there were brown recluse <gasps> spiders there. They look a lot like wolf spiders. <gasps> and like necrosis freaks me <gasps> out. It's like the one medical thing that really just like <sighs> freaks me out. And so. Uh, well, I've gone fetal. So there's that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't think brown recluses are in California. I, w- I will tell you, like, as I'm doing this, I would rather be naked than touch a spider. There you go. See? A step forward already. Yeah. I, but I think I'd rather eat a bean than be naked. So okay. We, so All maybe, right, so yes. It is. <laughs> so I still have a bean buffer. No, but here's the dangerous <laughs> thing, as I have discovered that I like chickpeas, which feels like a slippery slope to bean I mean, town. it's pretty bean adjacent. <sighs> okay. Whatever. Let's move on. <laughs> this is not Rachel's trauma hour. <laughs> Awesome. Well, like I said, listeners, if you have any suggestions on how to keep that apartment empty, we would love to hear from you. Drop us the line at rachel at zombiegirls.com. I'm seeking strategies. And if there's a good one, we'll implement it. Hell yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today we are going to be talking about a new movie, Jagged Mind, directed by uh, Kelly Cowley. And because it's so new, I want to make sure everybody knows our spoiler policy here so that you can make choices accordingly. In case you're new here, Ariel, how do we handle spoilers on More Deadly? Yeah, so eventually we are going to spoil this whole movie. But first, Rachel is going to tell you about the director and mm-hmm. the making of the film. And then mm-hmm. we'll give you some kind of overall non-spoiler thoughts. And then we're going to get into spoiler territory. Everything's up for grabs at that point. So if that bothers you, we will let you know when you need to dip out. And you can go watch it on Hulu. 
and then come on back. That's and right. for anybody who was listening to like the last episode, just know that the movie that we talked about doing for the this episode, oh, we will yeah. get to eventually. There was just some um, scheduling conflicts that came up. So mm-hmm. eventually, if you watched it, because I know, for instance, that Eddie watched it, <laughs> we will yeah. get back to it. I promise. Pinky promise. <laughs> I've I've saved my notes. I have yep, notes. I was ready to go, but we had a little little issue. But it's okay. Sorry, we're gonna get there. All right. So first up, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Kelly. So guess what, Ariel? We've what? got another super rad director to talk about again today awesome. I'm not <laughs> uh, yes she is another really really interesting person and how she got into filmmaking is this is the first that i've i mean i'm sure this oh. has happened in life but this is the first time i've ever heard this story okay so kelly is a biracial southern california native who credits her father as the person who's first sparked her inspiration to be a storyteller he was an african-american baptist pastor from alabama and she grew up watching him on the pulpit and at home using stories from the bible to uh, reach people in his congregation and people in his life and create positive changes in their life. And that would kind of go on to create the blueprint for how she would use her craft later in life. Oh, that's so interesting. I guess I never really thought about that because I've never really been to church, but I guess that is what you're doing is telling a story to... I mean, if you're a good pastor, right? (laughs) There are other ways that they use some of them. You said, but I choose to believe (laughs) that that's not the case here. But interestingly, even though she had had this example, her initial aspirations were not to be a filmmaker. Mm, Okay. Do you have any guess what she what she was before she was a film director? A writer, like an author. Mm -hmm. Nope. She was interested in exploring stories of the past, the distant past. She originally was focused on archaeology. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yep. Oh, that's so interesting. She got her bachelor's degree in anthropology from Howard University. Uh, She had a major in archaeology and a minor in film and classical civilization. After she graduated, she like went out in the field. She was excavating Mayan ruin sites in the rainforest of Belize. And she was doing like Buffalo soldier sites in Guadalupe, in the Guadalupe mountains of Texas, like a legit archaeologist. This is what she she didn't just go to school for it. She actually went out there and did field work. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Like a legit Indiana Jones style. Okay. So her transition from that to filmmaker actually began on a dig site. Okay. Yeah. So she told the story to Medium, and I'm just going to go ahead and quote it. She said, one summer while conducting an excavation, I became more captivated with the film crew that was there to document us. Since I knew a lot about the archaeology dig, I helped them conduct interviews and organize the questioning for their documentary, which uh, I was then credited as an associate producer. Later, that documentary went on to win awards, and it was then that I knew that I really enjoyed the process of filmmaking. Wild. Yep. What an interesting trajectory. I would not have guessed that. <laughs> I mean, I think you can kind of feel it when we get into some of the stuff with sure. this film, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get to that when we get in a little bit here. But from there, she went on to secure an internship at National Geographic Television and Film, which connected both of her passions for archaeology and filmmaking. And then after that, she went back to school to go ahead and pursue filmmaking. And she was accepted into the University of Southern California, where she earned her master's degree at the School of Cinematic Arts. 
And it was there that she was actually encouraged to pursue a story that she had heard of while she was working in Haiti. She had heard this like horrific story about this woman who was like people thought she was a nun. Um, she positioned herself as a nun, but oh, actually yeah. she was running a child trafficking hub. Oh, damn. Yep. 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 She like looked into it and she was like, this woman is not ordained. It turns out she's basically a local mob boss and the locals there were absolutely terrified of her like people would tell her about these stories about this woman but no one would would go on record about it because she had killed other people holy cow yep yep but kelly was not intimidated and she pursued the story unfortunately it took a very long time it took her 10 years and with the help, uh, financing help of Haitian goddess, supermodel, movie star, Real Housewife, Garcelle Bouvier. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. Garcelle? Yep. Yes. So her and her producing partner helped her finance this short film. Wow. Yep. Which is how she was able to finally complete her short film, Lalo's House, which went on to win the Student Academy Award, DGA Student uh, Director Award. It was Oscar qualifying and did a bunch of prestigious festivals, including the Pan-African Film Festival, Viola Davis and Julius Tennyson's Diversity in Cannes, and Telluride Film Festival, among others. Wow. That's incredible. What a great story. Jeez. Right? And also just like the tenacity to stick with a story for that long would be Mm -hmm. really hard, especially with so much danger involved. (laughs) Yes. I mean, and this is kind of the story that she told because I read a bunch of interviews with her and she talked about it in a couple different places, particularly after this, this came out. Uh Um, And she kind of, the story came out of one conversation where they were talking about like, essentially, like, what does it take to be a, a female filmmaker? Like, and she was like perseverance. And then she told the story, like, it took me 10 years to do this, but I just did not give up. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep. And not only did she succeed in doing this, she basically like was able to kind of bring her father's legacy forward and using her and using her storytelling to make lives better to the point where UNICEF actually used the short film to lobby the New York Assembly members to amend loopholes in current child trafficking laws that would then went on to help like more easily convict anyone committing crimes toward children. Oh, my gosh. Mm hmm. Wow. Yep. yep. What she an incredible career. Rad. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right? And this I'm is so how impressed. she started. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, she's gone on to make several other short films on in places like Belize and Haiti and China. But her feature film debut was the 2021 film I'm Fine, Thanks for Asking, which she co-directed, co-wrote, and, and starred in. It's about a recently widowed mother who becomes unhomed. And she does her best to kind of convince her daughter that they're camping while Mm -hmm. she because she's kind of like trying to protect her uh, while she's working to try to get them back on their feet. It was made with a micro budget and shot during the height of the COVID pandemic. Yes. And even though it was like a shoestring budget, very short shoot, all of those things, she was able to have it make its world debut at the South by Southwest Film Festival in 2021, where it took home the festival's inaugural special jury recognition for multi-hyphenate storyteller prize. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) South by Southwest. I mean, that's, I feel like people think you just like can put your film Mm -hmm. into any festival, but that's not actually how it works. It's really hard, especially with big festivals like that. Yep. 
So it was this film that she actually kind of credits for helping her get into the room with Hulu that allowed her to get the opportunity to direct Jagged Mm -hmm. Mind. However, so I actually interviewed her for my day job at Pride. And um, she was talking about how she essentially like went into the room. I think probably, you know, this is like a thing, right? You go into these rooms and you pitch and you don't always necessarily expect to get it it's just kind of part of the thing you do so she went in there she was like I didn't have any idea that you know I did not think they would get it because not only did she did you know was she kind of new to this or whatever um but she also like walked in and was like okay I want to change this 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 and this and she about the script yes so the movie that we saw is actually in some ways very different than the movie that was on the page at the time it was called first dates and it was set in a gallery in New York City. But Kelly, whose driving passion, as she said, is to shed light on marginalized communities, saw this as an opportunity to do some of that with this project if she were to get it. So while she was definitely drawn to the queerness and the way that queerness is presented in this, she found like specifically that she talked about how like she appreciated that it was not a it was a queer story without being like a coming out story yes. or a tragic story or like it's just sort of you are dropped into mm-hmm. the world of these people who are just like living their lives and dating and navigating relationships just like you would any other kind of film. So even though she was thought that was really cool, she felt like it was on the page felt very white. In part because it was in New York and like all of that art was going to be very white. Oh, okay. That makes so sense. She, yeah. So she proposed the following, that the characters be an interracial couple, which both reflected her own upbringing, but also added new layers of social tension to the story. Mm-hmm. She wanted the the lead uh, character to be a woman of color, specifically African-American or uh, Afro-Caribbean. And she wanted to relocate the story away from New York because without getting any spoilers, there are magical aspects to this film. And so she wanted to move the film's location to a part of the country where magic is just sort of like a part of the fabric of the culture. So her, yeah. So her first thought was, of course, New Orleans. But because of some logistical issues, they had to move it to Florida. And so she was like, okay, fine, that's great. Let's do it in Little Haiti because that also has, you know, like it also has connections to voodoo. And that was a part of the story. The other thing she wanted to make sure was that that it was treated respectfully. Yeah. Because, like, we have these ideas about it because it's been, like, exotified and, like, vilified and all these things. But it is a religion that people practice. Mm-hmm. And she was, as an anthropologist, she was like, we need to treat this with respect. So not only were there little tweaks made but she also added characters including papa juicy who is okay he was not so much sense yeah he was not in the original um we'll get into why that character is a little bit of a spin on on ideas that we have around uh that archetype um she also changed one of the characters rose to being haitian as well because she wanted to avoid tokenism and it also gave opportunities for there to be haitian creole spoken without subtitles which is another thing she pushed for yeah. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's all great because you're right. There are so many horror movies, especially like older ones from Child's Play. Yeah. <laughs> Just say Child's Play. I know. <laughs> I love that movie, but it is not respectful of the voodoo religion. It's too bad. Um, mm-hmm. But there are a lot of movies, even much farther back than that, that use voodoo yeah. and make it seem mm-hmm. like it's evil, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, So I think it's interesting that she spent so much time trying to make sure that didn't happen here. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a couple lines we can talk about that I think really 
kind yeah. of solidified that. I mean, yeah. it is like, she's like, oh, you weren't getting this here. Let me make it completely yes. textual. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just in case. <laughs> Just in case you missed it, dumb dumb. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, so I, I will say that the core of the characters and their dynamic remained untouched from writer Allison Morgan's initial script. So like the dynamics and the people themselves are pretty much as they were on okay. the page. But she just wanted to make sure that there was better cultural context for the story. And now personally, like I can't imagine it any other way. No. Like I feel like it might have been pretty problematic <laughs> with yeah. a bunch of like and white also, ladies in the Upper West Side. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, if they had kept the voodoo Ooh. stuff in there, but had that be true, it would have been yikes. Um, yikes. But I also just feel like it may have been a lot more bland. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. And I do appreciate sort of the social dynamics that she added yeah. to it, but we'll get into that. All right. So when it came to casting, it was really important to Kelly that they cast queer actors in the lead roles to avoid that whole, you know, that whole dynamic that we talk mm -hmm. a lot about, like lived experiences, blah, 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 blah. Right. And she says that Hulu was incredibly supportive of that. Oh, good. She said, okay, in an interview with The Advocate, she said, those executives did not play. It wasn't even an option. They were going to the LGBT community, period. And I love that. I didn't have to push for it. That's awesome. Yep. That is really cool. Just sort of a fun fact, a random fun fact. Okay. <laughs> and this is something she told me in our interview. She talked about a movie that served as the sort of visual inspiration for this film. Okay. Do you have any guesses what it might have been? No. Um, for the visual part of it. Visual, yeah. I mean, primarily visual. I was like, I mean, to me, it's I was... colored really interesting. Like, mm -hmm. the lighting changes mm -hmm. a lot in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. Because I'm thinking now it's something not horror, by the way you're talking. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, what was it? Ratatouille! <laughs> What? <laughs> yes uh, so okay i pulled this quote because again okay. i feel like you need her to explain it yeah i'm lost okay <laughs> so she talked about how the thing about genre that's so amazing about genre is it is a filmmaker's playground is what she described it as mm -hmm. because you can do anything and one yeah. of the things she kept thinking about was ratatouille and how she wanted to utilize some of the visual style of that so she said for camera moves a lot of camera moves a jagged mine like the flashing the way that they show billy in different places i took that from one part of ratatouille where they go from the chef to the critic but it jumps from room to room to room i really loved how they did that in animation and i wanted to do it in live action there's no specific horror film that I referenced, but I referenced animation. My director of photography, Rasa Parton, loved it, and we made that happen, and it became one of the most fun things to do on set. The, quote, ratatouille, everyone called it. Oh, gosh, that is so interesting. You know what I'm thinking about is there's that scene in Ratatouille where the critic comes in and he's eating mm -hmm. he eats that dish that the rat makes. Yep. And then he starts thinking about all these different points in yep. his childhood, and it, like, goes yep. back, back, back in uh -huh. his memories. That's so much like what she did here. It's the oh, ratatouille. <laughs> While I never would have guessed that, though. Like, in a million years, I would not I have gotten ratatouille. <laughs> I know. I was like, Rosemary's baby. Don't yeah. worry, darling. <laughs> Both of those would have made more sense to me. But now that now I've thought about it, I totally see it. I just... <laughs> I would not have guessed like a Pixar cartoon movie about a rat yeah. cooking food would have yep. had anything to do with this horror movie. <laughs> yep, it sure did. Fascinating. 
Yeah, I know. I love that detail. So I was like, I don't really know where to put this in here, but I can't not tell you that story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so unfortunately, I don't have a ton more about the production itself, except for to, to reiterate what you said, that it premiered on Hulu on June 15th and is available now so you can go stream it. Yeah. Oh, wait. Wasn't it also based on a short film? It, yeah. Um, you know, I should have looked that up but because she did actually mention that. Now that so do you want me to just tell you? <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. All right. School me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I had remembered that this came from one of those bite-sized Hulu Halloween shorts. What? Yeah. So in the first season, there is a short called First Date, I think. Okay. And that is what this movie is based on. So what? I went back and watched it. It's only like four minutes long. When we get into spoilers, I can tell you what it's about because it'll give yes. away like the twist of this movie. Um, but I watched those and my brain is just like, well, you wa- but I don't like know 30 her. of them or whatever. So that's true. You know, you can't keep all of them. But I do love this thing that Hulu is doing where it's like this. These Hulu Halloween bite-sized mm-hmm. ones are kind of like a lab. Oh my God, you're right. Movies because they're going to do it later appendage. this year with appendage. Yeah. <gasps> It's all coming together. Yes. The grand conspiracy. <laughs> See, this is why I wear a tinfoil hat. Because of these moments of, in, like, of it like, all comes together. Yes, of epiphany. Like, <laughs> but it's cool because there are a lot of those shorts that have fascinating ideas in them yeah. that I would love to see flushed out. So I hope yeah. they keep doing that. Yeah, I still want that one. I don't remember what it was called, but it was like the Korean one where there was like the ghost in the shadow. Yes. I want a long version. I would love that. That one is amazing and mm-hmm. creepy and like fascinating and has full core vibes to it. Yeah. Iris Shim, are you uh, listening? I, right. Yes. Please. <laughs> God, make that movie. <laughs> yes, please. All right. Okay. So that is what I've got for the background. Let's get into our thoughts about this movie. Now, again, this is a new movie, so there's a chance you guys have not seen it. We're going to tell you what we thought of it without spoiling anything so that you can know how to move forward. And like we said, it's very easily gettable. It's on Hulu. All right. So I've been talking a lot. So Ariel, when you come off mute, it's going to be your turn. Why don't you tell me what you thought about this movie without spoilers? Oh, my God. I was so just talking and did not realize I was on mute. (laughs) I hate that. I do it all the time. Like one of the last times we recorded a Zombie Girls episode, I think it was this. I did it for like 15 minutes while other people were were talking and I kept like trying to interject an idea or a thought and like everybody was ignoring me and I was like what is happening because especially Matilda will never ignore me if I try to interject she's so kind about that even if I talk over her accidentally and I was like what is happening and then I finally realized (laughs) I have literally been on mute for like 15 minutes (laughs) that's good you're like am I a ghost (laughs) right Okay. Sorry. All right. Ariel, what did you think about this movie? All right. Well, first of all, I don't know if you noticed this. You probably did. But this does fit under that sort of category of movie that you enjoy, which is under 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I think this one is like 77 <laughs> minutes or something. And it's a perfect length. <laughs> I stand by it. <laughs> All right. So I actually really enjoyed this movie. I think that it's not perfect. There are some complaints that I'll have later. But overall, I really enjoyed myself. And I think, first of all, like 
we just don't get a lot of queer horror movies or thrillers. And this kind of, you know, is sort of an in-between, a little bit horror, a little bit thriller. Mm-hmm. And I think that what you were saying earlier about the director and her thought process into the casting of this and sort of how she designed the characters uh, makes so much sense because I think it was just such a breath of fresh air to have it be where you're basically just like tossed into the middle of these women's lives, mm-hmm. you know, and that they're already established and there is no like traumatic coming out story or questioning of their sexuality it's just like the queerness is a fact move on like let's get into it kind of thing yeah yeah and i really really enjoyed that the queerness is a fact let's get into it is a shirt like, <laughs> <laughs> i'm just putting that out there right now the queerness is a fact get into it more deadly like, <laughs> perfect i love it <laughs> Um, I really, really enjoyed the actor who plays Billy in this. I thought mm-hmm. she was one fabulous actor, two so charismatic. Yes, it's like instant like. Do you know what I mean? Where yeah, some people just yeah, have yeah, that yeah. quality where mm-hmm. you're just like brought into them immediately. Mm-hmm. I thought she was fantastic, and her emotional arc in this was done really well. The actor who played Alex, mm-hmm. <laughs> the sort of foil to our main character, yes. uh, she got under my skin immediately. And mm-hmm. part of it, she gave me such bad vibes. This is a very personal, like, only what happened to me kind of thing. But she Uh-oh. looks exactly like this girl that I went to elementary school with. Oh, geez. Who bullied me when I was oh, a kid. Oh, let's find she her and slash her tires. So much li- What's that? I said, let's find her and slash her tires. <laughs> that's like your solution to everything (laughs) well because it's violence without violence (laughs) it will ruin somebody's day but like not ruin their life you know what i mean so i feel like ethically okay with it because i know they're gonna have a very (laughs) shitty expensive day (laughs) oh my gosh um oh the blackout stuff that i don't want to get into spoilers with this but there are kind of these blackout flashbacky scenes that happen mm-hmm. in the film and i really the ratatouille liked... yeah exactly <laughs> the ratatouille i love the way that they were filmed they're super visually creative and interesting but they aren't so jarring and flashing that i couldn't watch them which was really nice because i always worry about that in films like this where i'm gonna have to like close my eyes for a good portion of the movie mm-hmm. uh, that didn't happen here and i thought they were really beautiful and interesting So one of the themes that this movie also touches on is domestic abuse, but part of it is talking about the stuff that's not physically violent, Mm -hmm. and that I thought was really interesting, and I'm sure we'll get into that a lot when we get into spoilers, but I think the way that it tackled it without ever like explicitly talking about it was really interesting and done really well. Yeah. I would say my only sort of overarching complaint is that I almost wish that the horror and thriller elements had been pushed a little further so that there was more tension in the movie but Mm. overall I really liked it nice so I also had a really good time with this one uh it struck for me kind of this almost nostalgic nerve it was like the kind of movie that I feel like I would have found like back in the day either found based on the cover of the VHS or mm. like, do you remember like Love Object was a movie like this where I, I oh. just the description of it and it was like playing all the time. It's like back in the satellite TV days and there would be these horror movies that I would watch because like they had like interesting premises and then I'd find these weird sort of, you know, like hidden gems. This feels like one of those back in the 
the pre-streaming era, right? right. I don't know. It, there's something about this type of horror film that's like a, not a low-budget horror film, but also not like a blockbustery kind of horror film that you just sort of like stumble upon and mm-hmm. it feels a little transgressive. That's what this one was for me. It also blends two of my favorite genres. Horror and erotic thriller. Of course I'm going to like it. (laughs) Of course I'm going to be in the bag for it. You know, that's another sort of like dying art. Although I feel like it's slowly coming back. We're starting to get the erotic thriller is starting to come back into vogue. And I'm like, yes, give it to me. Give it to me. I love it. And I think, like you said, it's not a perfect film. Um, I think longtime horror fans will probably catch some of the twists and turns yeah. pretty quickly. I know I did. Yeah. I did enjoy sort of the early sort of mystery aspect of it, but there's still something kind of cozy about it. And what makes it feel fresh is that it tweaks some of the more problematic aspects of the genre, even though I love it. Like it's, you know, erotic thrillers are not the most <laughs> like the ones right. you go back and watch some Kim Basinger joint, you're gonna be like, oh, that did not age well. Um <laughs> And I think this kind of casually modernizes that, you know, in the ways that we talked about in the background. Um, But it also feels like, well, it it feels like a throwback while also feeling culturally contemporary, Mm -hmm. which is a really nice blend. Uh, And I think it's, it is able to kind of get at some topics that I think are very zeitgeisty right now. Like I think we're talking about things like gaslighting, things like that now, but it never feels really preachy about it. It just feels very like, like it's easy breezy, you know, yeah. in terms of the the messaging, um, the style and the, the tone of the messaging. Yeah. Well, I think it's sort of this, it, it, walks this line where it's not saying stuff explicitly, but mm-hmm. it's also very, easily digestible the messages that it's trying to get across yes that's a better way of saying that yes easy breezy is a weird thing to be like yeah it talks about gaslighting in an easy breezy way um and this movie is pretty sexy i appreciated the chemistry between the two leads you know Mm -hmm. it's a movie that is full of imperfect women which i think is always something i'm looking for like you said it definitely delves into some pretty intense themes domestic violence gaslighting i also think it touches on some appropriation and colonization topics in ways that are subtle but really interesting yeah um and it's a little camp and fun and not preachy and yeah i mean we'll get into some things in spoilers probably more specific around that but overall i just thought this was like a fun watch and easy to recommend, especially for people like my fellow erotic thriller heads. Like, give this, give this a go. <laughs> like you said, it, yeah. it's under 90 minutes. Hey. <laughs> 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 All right. So now you know what we thought of this movie. Now you know where to watch this movie. So you have you are armed with everything you need to avoid spoilers. But we're gonna spoil things now. We're getting into the spoiler section. So if you are someone who's like, I don't like spoilers. They suck. They ruin the party. Now's the time for you to RSVP. No, go watch it. Come back and hear what we really thought about it. (laughs) And yes, I realize that I sound long-winded, but that's me doing that for you. I'm doing you a solid by giving you time (laughs) to find your phone and hit pause. By now, hopefully you have because we have entered the spoiler zone. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Ariel, you have the synopsis for this. Tell me about Jagged Mind. I actually remembered this time. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. (laughs) All right. Ariel, tell me about this movie. 
All right. So we are introduced to Billy, a young lesbian art curator who lives in Little Haiti in Miami and is struggling with blackouts where she doesn't remember what has happened except for a strong sense of deja vu and some concerning visions of her death. (laughs) Not great. Mm, Not good. So as she struggles with memory loss from these blackouts, she meets and starts dating a woman named Alex. As an audience, we are clued into what's happening fairly quickly because we're getting sort of a Groundhog's Day effect where days are repeating, except that Billy has no idea that it's actually happening. So not really like Groundhog's Day, I guess. Right. Um, Billy and Alex start getting serious and Billy believes that Alex is a loving girlfriend because it seems like she's caring for her while she's going through all these memory loss issues that doctors can't explain. We as an audience, however, are witness to Alex being verbally abusive to Billy and then turning back time and also gaslighting her a lot, like Mm. a lot, a lot. (laughs) She also tries to make Billy feel like she's completely dependent on her for everything because of her memory loss issues. So we also see that Alex is wearing this crystal amulet around her neck that has a teeny tiny little dagger inside which she uses to cut Alex when she's blacked out and she saves her blood for some unknown reason at the time. (laughs) I'm sure that it's perfectly innocent. Totally There's a good explanation. Why do you always jump to conclusions? (laughs) So cynical, Ariel. So after being briefly hospitalized, Billy finds an artist postcard in her purse from an artist named Rose Porter whose work Billy had showed at the gallery. The card has the word remember written across the back, and this prompts Billy to go home and look up the artist online, where she discovers photos of Rose and Alex together like they were dating. So Billy goes to Rose's house to find out what's going on and discovers her sadly dead in her shower with her wrist slit. In the house, she also finds a bowl with evidence inside, including a thumb drive with a video where Billy is talking to Rose and a Haitian man from some earlier visions that she had had, except that Billy has no memory of this conversation ever having taken place. So in this video, Rose tells Billy that she used to date Alex and that when Alex broke up with her, she used this magic amulet to try to get her back because it allows you to create a time loop and like turn back time essentially. But when Alex discovered its power, she stole it and tried to kill Rose. And uh, you basically using the person's blood, you can use the amulet to like turn back time. But if Mm -hmm. you start a new loop too many times, it messes with the person's brain, hence the memory issues, and eventually it can kill you. So Alex resets time again, and she and Billy go to a beach house for a getaway, but all the memories of the repeating days flood back to Billy, and she remembers all of the abuse and how Alex murders her every time before she sets back time, and that's why she was having all these visions of her own death. (laughs) Uh, Okay, fine. Maybe the amulet is bad. (laughs) Billy gets a hold of the amulet, and murders Alex mm-hmm. and turns back time and goes about her life, <laughs> I guess, and holds on to the amulet as well for, you know. Well, yeah, and then starts targeting poor Rose. Yeah. Yeah. Not I think we need, we need to talk about that. We'll okay. get there. We'll get there. But I, I want to know your opinion on that when we get there. So, all right. What are the, is there anything you wanted to kick this off with that you couldn't say at the, uh, in the opening of this? 
Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, first of all, I, you mentioned this earlier, but I love how messy Billy is as a character. Mm-hmm. She's totally imperfect. Her life is a little bit chaotic. We learn that she's been having this kind of relationship affair going on with her boss and that while Alex and she were together in one of the time loops, she cheated on Alex with her. So there's all these things where things are a little bit like messy in her life. And I really like that aspect of it because a lot of times, you know, and we talk about this a lot, like we like those imperfect characters because it's so Mm -hmm. boring when your main character is perfect. (laughs) I mean, and I think it's also true to some degree of Alex, right? Yeah. I think that she's such an interesting character. She does horrible, horrible, unforgivable things in this film. I'm not going to say that she is not a villain. <laughs> okay, But <good. laughs> I do feel like that there is more complexity to her than I was mm. expecting. I do think there are places where you can have empathy for her, you know, and understand kind of the underpinning emotions that are going into it as opposed to her just being like a monster. Mm. That's not justify what she's doing. That's not what I'm saying. I know that okay. I tend I I know what you're thinking over there. Like <laughs> I tend to be a little softer on the bad guys, but I do think that that speaks to writing and like humanizing the character to some degree. Um I don't think anybody in this movie is all good or all, all No, bad. I mean even Rose Porter. Right. She used the amulet to manipulate Uh Alex first. Like she started this whole thing and did something really terrible. And you think that she is somebody who's kind of perfect earlier on. Or not perfect, but like not a bad person. Right. And I think this is also like a reflection of how relationships work, right? Like if this movie is ultimately sort of a metaphor for toxic relationships Mm -hmm. and like losing yourself into relationships, I think that there's a meta commentary about relationships in this. There is always every every party in that. None of them is a hundred percent innocent. None of right. them is a hundred percent good, a hundred percent bad. I mean, there can certainly be parties who are much, much worse, and that's true here. But I think that's a more nuanced way to have a conversation about this dynamic than 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 it could have been. And I appreciate it. It's something I appreciated about the film. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the Team Alex. Was- Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh Just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> You're like, when she shoved that kid, I was so on her side. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not all heroes wear capes, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Some of them wear white pantsuits. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but um, I feel like the the dynamic between Rose and Alex is really interesting. Just this mm-hmm. idea that the person who was abused in the relationship can like go on to sort of do the same thing later on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I mean, interesting to talk about. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe that's let's just talk about the end because like I keep, oh. we keep we're dancing around it. Well, the... I mean, here's the thing is the film doesn't even dance around it. You're told almost within like the first 20 minutes of the movie what's happening here. Not in yeah. explicit terms, but I don't think you don't know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a little sad when we solved the mystery so quickly because yeah. I was enjoying the mystery mm-hmm. of it. But I think the strength of the characters and helped, right? Because you were like really rooting for for Billy, which is why I feel have complicated feelings about the end. Yeah. And I wonder if like you're saying, as you're talking about how this cycle began, that it started with Rose, mm-hmm. like I've been kind of like back and forth, like, do I feel like the ending where she decides to use the amulet or, or doesn't really have a choice because it, it has an evil of its own? 
if that was sort of like a weird like twilight twist like not twilight twilight zone twist <laughs> very different properties <laughs> so then she started to sparkle and larry got very <laughs> obsessed with her or was it meant to have commentary about like the cycle of violence i think maybe abuse? a little bit of both that mm-hmm. there is a cycle of violence, but also the fact that this amulet, they very clearly say at one point that this isn't voodoo. It's like blood magic. Yes. And so the idea that it can have an effect on you, like there's a draw to it and you can't stop maybe once you've gotten a hold of it. Mm-hmm. Because in order to undo what's happened, she has to do the time loop at least one time, right? And so maybe at that point, by even just doing it the one time, she can't stop. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a pretty, it's a, I, I feel conflicted about it because on one hand, I'm like, oh, that's a good little, you know, twist and a little kind of a bleak way to end it. But I also was just, I rooted so hard for Billy. It was hard to see her like hand off the the memory yeah. box and just be like, yeah, I'm leaning in. <laughs> yeah, my turn. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's a dark ending for sure. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. kind of funny because the way it's filmed, it's like so happy as she's kind of bouncing around the art gallery and everything's kind of returned to normal, you know? Yeah. Um, and she turns down Alex at the bar and you're like, yeah, way to go, Billy. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a little bit of like a gut punch when you realize she's going to do it too. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, again, we like to have uh complicated villainous characters yeah. who are women and in this case also queer women and it goes back to this whole thing about really appreciating that this is a queer story that is not like a uh fit into neatly into the like typical queer story boxes of tragedy right. and coming out this is definitely a movie that could have j- easily just can been about cis straight people oh yeah and it's just a slice of life and i appreciate that about it at a lot and i also think that you know, I'm wondering how people will feel about this. I personally was glad to see them kind of talking about, like, have space to talk about, like, dark aspects of relationships mm-hmm. in this situation. Because I feel like it nor- it is a- it's another way of normalizing queer love, right? It's to show that it can also, it isn't always, like, a paragon or, like, this amazing, beautiful right. thing. Like, people are people. And yeah, so, people like, they're flawed. Go- and so it's going to have. Yeah, there's going to be issues, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that, I don't know if you ever saw Hypochondriac, but it was, like, so shocking when I saw that, that there was, like, domestic violence in that plug for the Vinegar Syndrome Special Edition of Hypochondriac available now yes. on the website. Maybe has an essay written by someone on this podcast, you know. <laughs> anyway. <a> very good one. <laughs> and so, like, the point is, I, I liked that. About, I appreciated that about it. I also... Yeah think the it was really smart to bring in like a race and social aspect of this because because we're using like sort of uh like like it's not voodoo it's blood magic but it's kind of like in that same sort of milieu right right and so it allows you to kind of like explore subtly and overtly like ideas around colonization and appropriation like the fact that every time the cycle starts we're in this bar in in little haiti and there's like one white lady in there Mm -hmm. using this magic that is like not her magic that she stole that she stole (laughs) and that she's like essentially colonizing this poor woman's brain all that stuff is it's there to you can see it you can grab it you can dig into it but it doesn't necessarily it's not so textual that that's what the movie becomes about it's just layered things quite so outright i also think there's like a class difference here too Mm -hmm. that's interesting Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. Alex is 
very looks like independently wealthy and it's not as though billy is not money doing okay i mean she has a nice house and Mm -hmm. she you know everything she has a good job as an art curator but obviously alex is like wealthy wealthy right yeah 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 yeah, (laughs) and she uses that financial stability and wealth to kind of control billy a lot throughout the movie Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. trying to get her to live with her and just the way even that You're she kind right. of manipulates things around restaurants and what they're eating and what they're drinking and the beach house all of it is because she's so wealthy you know right you're so right like i mean even down to that white i joked about the white pantsuit but like yes. all of those things speak to privilege mm-hmm. and they're like such a stark contrast especially class-wise at that party. Like if you look at what she's wearing versus what Billy's friend is wearing, it's very, very different. Yeah, and she brings like this expensive bottle of wine to a Mm -hmm. kid's birthday party to give the mom. And weaponizes that money in a very particular way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because she also talks about like her friend is like having financial Mm. issues. Oh, she's so evil. She is so evil. I mean, that scene I think (laughs) is so good too because – the way in which she tries to drive a wedge, like sort of mm-hmm. covertly between Billy and her best friend to further isolate Billy from anybody who might realize that something's going on that could help her, that could be a support yeah. to her. I mean, it, I, I just I really like the way that this movie tackled some of those kinds of um, abusive relationships that don't get talked about as much because they're not as like physically violent. I mean, <laughs> Alex gets there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but in yeah. These oh, earlier yeah. scenes, what we're mostly seeing is her being controlling, her being manipulating, her gaslighting Billy. We see her, you know, try to use Billy's medical condition and her money to mm-hmm. control her. Um, she's, you know, driving her away from other people that might care about her. All of these things we see. I mean, eventually it gets to like, the level where it's very verbally abusive and then obviously yeah. physically abusive too. I mean, she's literally like murdering her over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in those earlier parts of the movie, like the first three quarters of the film maybe, mm-hmm. it's all covert emotional manipulation. It speaks to Shannon Ward's performance. Like mm-hmm. I love those little moments where the mask slips for a yes. second. And like it's not just like pure villainy. Sometimes it's also just like exhaustion. Mm-hmm. There's these great little moments, like one of the many times at the bar when she's like, okay, I got to go. And she's like, I guess I'll see you again tomorrow. Like, we'll do it again next time. Like those (laughs) little moments are, they're clues because you're still unraveling at that point. But I just think that there's uh, levels to that character. Right. Because she'll seem so kind of like warm and loving. And then all of a sudden she'll drop that. Uh And there's this coldness to her. Yep. You know, and so then you you'll also see it in reverse where she's mm-hmm. let the mask slip and then she repeats and then you'll see her. But but you can see the strain in the mask because yeah. now you've seen what's beneath it. Right. Like it's not the effortless mask that it seemed at first. Like you can actually see that. OK, here we go. Let's do this again. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's interesting. Yeah, It's very interesting. And I think that the way that this movie does the time loop and the fact that it's repeating over and over again is also I don't know a good representation maybe of how that kind of trauma and abuse and even gaslighting how you kind of get stuck in these patterns Mm -hmm, and you can't mm -hmm. escape you know or don't know how to escape yep that's a really great point yes I really love those early scenes with the two of them in that bar in Little Haiti. I loved the the red and blue lighting. I'm a sucker for that contrast lighting yeah. of the red and the blue or the pink and the blue, like any of those sort of like neon contrasts. 
I, it just, I don't know, it tickles a part of the visual part of my brain. Um, but I also love that it almost, because it was this place where the uncanny was occurring every time we'd show back up in this place, it almost Mm -hmm. felt like less like a bar, more like a little pocket dimension. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. I really love the intimacy of those scenes and the uncanniness of them. I also was thinking because it becomes a horror film, but it like starts off like a, like a love story a little Mm -hmm. bit. I found myself thinking a lot about, did you ever see that movie out of sight with Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney where they have like, yeah, there's like these stolen moments in the movie between the right. two of those character and it's like kind of like you take that and then you add this twilight zone vibe to it mm-hmm. and you get these scenes and i really loved i could almost watch like a series of those scenes they could have gone on even longer for me because they were some of my sort of favorite creepy world off kilter yeah moments. just a little unsettling for sure. She was this mysterious character in mm-hmm. the bar. And again, she stands out so much as like the one white lady that's yes. in there. And she's in there like targeting a romantic partner. I don't know. There's there's something automatically sort of because I know we're watching a horror movie, it feels automatically sinister. But also then they get in there and they have this chemistry. It's mm-hmm. it's like it's very complicated as an audience member to watch. And I really appreciated those scenes. I, I enjoyed those scenes quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I will have to say, though, I do think that because you have this time loop element and because we as an audience catch on to what's happening pretty quickly, that the movie does lose some of its tension and it doesn't kind of ratchet up again until that very final scene at Mm, the beach mm -hmm. house. Once you solve the mystery, it's very hard to maintain that same sort of level of tension. I was interested in watching how the dynamics played out between yeah, the two of them. Yeah, Billy was going to figure it out too. So I was not unentertained, mm-hmm, but I agree sure. with you. But like, yes, the tension definitely does ratchet down to the final act. But I, there's also this mystery solving aspect of it that is yeah, always Yeah, and I appreciate me, that. You know? And I think the other thing that it does that is maybe on the good side of it is that you're not spending the entire movie wondering if Billy has a mental illness, like are these just right. hallucinations? Because you know right. pretty quickly that it is actually happening to her. Mm-hmm. I mean, like she gets into a, a, a CAT scan. You're like, and that's yeah. good because, like, it, what it does is it sort of like eliminates the hysteria, right? Exactly. Element, which is always such a part of these kinds of things. Like, maybe it's all in her head. <laughs> like, you know, that's fine, but it, it is definitely a path that we have gone down quite a bit in the genre yeah so yeah i don't i don't have a problem with that i also think that like i wouldn't have minded if they had pushed either the horror or the erotic thriller part a little further like sure i wouldn't have even minded if (laughs) this had been like a queer 90s erotic thriller and it had been even hornier and more salacious (laughs) (laughs) i mean my answer to that is always yes right (laughs) (laughs) i mean those are you want to talk about things that were like um foundational formative, <laughs> formative yes <laughs> we'll go <with> formative <laughs> yep 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 yep, yep. <laughs> you know what's crazy that i was thinking about too about this movie is that when we get to the end when we're at the beach house and mm-hmm. billy's memories start coming back and the whole thing gets unraveled yeah at that point we realize that she starts to like ask billy to move in with her and then proposes to her at the about six month mark, I think. Yeah. And we see in the flashbacks that 
they have gotten to that point multiple times. Yeah. Which means that Alex is so obsessed with Billy that she keeps repeating the timeline. Oh, yeah. This has been going for years. Every time something goes. Yeah. Because, I mean, she's at least lived through that six months like a few times. Plus, she's reset it at earlier points as Mm -hmm. well. So this has been years in the making. And one, Mm -hmm. no wonder she's so frustrated about everything. Yeah. Um, she's like, I just want it to be perfect, and it keeps getting fucked up, and then I have to start all over again. I'm like, how do you keep figuring it out? How Why did you, you yeah. doing this? How did you figure it out this time? You're yeah. Like, oh, shit. I mean, I actually felt like that was a little bit of a reveal. Like, I understood mm-hmm. the mechanics of what was happening pretty early yeah. on, but to know the timeline was yes. pretty shocking for me. Because I was thinking maybe months of oh, this no. happening. Years. I was not imagining... Because, like, just think about the level of obsession you would have to have somebody right. to not be like, fuck this, I'm moving on. Like, also, I have this super powerful thing in my possession. Like, why am I using it to try to trap this woman into a relationship with me? I mean, it explains how she could so easily just start killing people, right? Yeah. Like, it actually wasn't something she went directly to. She's had years of this shit where right. she's just like, I'm just going to kill her. Right. <laughs> right. I'm done. That's it. <laughs> And I guess if you keep repeating these patterns, like the stakes, go, like they kind of disappear for you because time does, consequences don't really totally exist for you anymore. No, they wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. See, this you start with slashing tires. <laughs> the next thing you know, you're just straight marking people. You got to be careful. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> All right. Uh, last a sort of little nice touch that I, I liked was I loved how when we saw Rose's portrait at the end, it was in color and she was no longer crying. Yeah, I did like that, too. It was like a subtle way of showing sort of the butterfly effect or the like the circles of repercussions of, of unwinding that. And it's a shame to know that mm, a new cycle has begun. I know. <sighs> Any other thoughts? The only other thing I would say is that I did think it being set in Little Haiti was really interesting. And I was wondering throughout the film, like, how exactly this was going to get woven in because I didn't know anything about the director. Yeah. So I do appreciate kind of knowing some of that background because I personally don't know enough about that culture or about voodoo to be able to tell 100% whether it was like kosher or not do you know what i mean totally totally and i think setting it there versus in new york means the predominant culture is haitian yeah exactly so it like shifts the like at least localized um cultural power dynamics a little Mm -hmm. bit in a way that feels a little more comfortable as opposed to like a bunch of white like i said a bunch of white ladies in upper west side who are like playing around with voodoo and right that would be cringe 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 (laughs) times a million oh i know what i want you to tell me about before we wrap up we almost forgot you you didn't want to spoil it but remind me more about that first date's short yeah yeah the short okay so in the short it's really short it's only four minutes long and it's Mm -hmm. basically like alex and billy together um dancing to that song in their apartment oh my god it's coming to me there's a record she she puts on right there's a record she puts on and they have this like romantic moment and then she goes to get a drink or something i can't remember and uh billy sees an hourglass and all of a sudden starts having flashbacks and kind of realizes what's been happening Right. And, and who's then, in it? I remember there's a recognizable um, actor in uh, it. Fuck. Um, damn it. Um, Hari Neff. It's Hari Neff, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's right. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. I completely forgot about that short. And I remember thinking it was a really good one. Yeah. And it has that same kind of moment where the Alex character is all of a sudden like 
how'd you figure it out this time? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Oh my God. Oh, and it has, oh my gosh, it has one of the actors from Hairwolf in it. Oh, right. You're right. Damn it. I knew she looked familiar. Yeah, but she was in that and she was in Master. That's awesome. That's so cool. Awesome. Thank you for reminding me. I totally remember <laughs> yeah. it now. It's like, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm experiencing the end of that. <laughs> That's yeah, short I mean, it's kind of cool because it all happens like so quickly, but it's essentially the the main idea of this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. So overall, I would say this one is a pretty easy recommend for me. I enjoyed this a lot and it makes me very excited to see more of Kelly Colley's uh, work. I want to see, I'm hoping she stays in the genre. I mean, it seems like she had a lot of fun. She described the genre as the director's playground. So my hope is that she'll continue to explore in this space. What what about you? Yeah, I think that would be great. Because I think that although I had some like issues with certain parts of this, I think overall there are some great ideas here. And also, mm-hmm. like I was saying before, the whole Ratatouille like filming that she did <laughs> was really cool. So if she's got creative ideas like that about just how to structurally make a film look great, then I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I we love an unpredictable sort of yeah. inspiration, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. So everybody check it out. It is on Hulu. No listener mail this time. So, but we'd love to hear from you. Maybe you had some thoughts about this movie, a movie you'd like to see us talk about, anything. You can always drop us a line at rachel at zombiegirls.com. Also, if you have ideas about how to keep neighbors out of Ariel's uh, upstairs apartment, <laughs> rachel at zombiegirls.com. Let us know. Uh, you can come chat with us over on the Facebook page, or you can slide into the DMs at ZG Podcasts. That's ZG Podcasts with an S. And you can also follow there to see all of the awesome queer podcasters, content creators that we are hyping this season. If you're enjoying the show, do us the biggest of big favors and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your pods, whether it's Spotify or Audible or whatever. Um, it's a little thing, but it actually means a ton to us. Um, so we would really, really appreciate that. Uh, if you are looking for something spooky to watch tonight, check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com. And if you want to support us with some key money, a couple ways you can do that. You can buy some of our awesome merch. We have a woman created design uh, that you could put on your bod yes, if you always wanted Ariel eye on your bosoms you can do that <laughs> with a cool t-shirt you want um, our bosoms on your bosoms get oh our t-shirt. my god oh my god <laughs> it's like an aurora boris of bosoms <laughs> <laughs> we've incepted bosomed <laughs> All right, now it's getting weird. <laughs> I don't, well, I'm trying to think of another one. <laughs> anyway, this is like the tattoo of a butt on a butt, but a shirt. <laughs> In shirt form. Um, so yeah, you can do that at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. Or you can, of course, join our Patreon where we have extended episodes, bonus episodes. We have a fun one coming up where we're going to be asking Mars all about herself. Um, and some other really fun things. We've got a Nick Cage one planned coming up in July. So definitely is a great time to join the Patreon. And uh, yeah, thank you. If you already are a patron, though, thank you so much for your support. It really means so much to us that you enjoy our rambling. I know. Our opinions, <laughs> our thoughts. I assume you're just here for Ariel and I'm like, oh, my God. Same. Whatever. Same. <laughs> Ariel. Yeah, I've talked enough. Your turn. What are we doing on the next episode? 
All right. So for the next episode, we are actually circling back around to an episode we were supposed to do a month or two ago, and we had to skip because we got a surprise guest that came on. So we are going to be reviewing The Invitation, Finally! the one from 2022. We've already done the original one. Um, this one is directed by Jessica M. Thompson, and it is about a young woman who is courted and swept off her feet only to realize that a gothic conspiracy is afoot. And I believe it's on Ugh, Netflix, so you guys I can watch it before the next episode. <laughs> you had a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> that I was faced with a gothic conspiracy. Oh, that Every would be like day. your dream come true, I feel It like. actually would be. I feel like it, I mean, on costuming alone, I would like right? to be caught up in a <laughs> gothic conspiracy. At some point, is, are there any sort of like like Hammer Horror era sort of gothic-y films that are women-directed? Oh, that's a good question. I'll have to look into that. Not I that know. I can think of off the top of my head. A certain but... guest that we want to get on the show would definitely know the answer to that. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Perhaps we should ask him about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So everybody watch The Invitation. This is the movie that I have been trying to watch for so long. It is, I know. It is cursed. If I if we manage to get this, I should just watch it right now so we can make sure that it happens. Because I have been trying to watch this since last year. I have watched the first 15 minutes of this film three Girl, separate times. I watched that person jump off the, the that <laughs> balcony like five times. I'm not kidding. I'm We're going to do it this time. Oh, and then there's like the, I don't know. We'll get into it. <laughs> Guy, creepy. <laughs> I don't, I don't buy it. I don't, okay. Whatever. All, All right, right. We'll get into I'm, it. We'll I'm get into curious it. to hear your thoughts. <laughs> I will grumble. I'm just going to do the whole podcast like that. Just grumble. It's just going to be grumble cast. <laughs> no, but all them boys and sucking. <laughs> they sure do. I don't buy it. <laughs> it's going to be our best episode ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that is it for us, unless people are sticking around for the extended episode. Ariel, take us out. Yeah. Uh, before I take us out, though, I'm just going to oh, let you know kidding. as a teaser, if you want to join our Patreon, Ooh. you will get this extended episode where today I am diving back in to female serial killers. Oh, yeah. And we're going to be talking about the ogress of reading. What? You were finding some deep cuts. I, I know. Love this. Like, <laughs> I felt like I knew about serial killers. I don't. Not, no, well, I'm I, very I excited to tell you about the ogress. <laughs> well, girls get it done. <laughs> Apparently there's a teaser out for the new season of the boys, but I haven't watched it yet. Ooh, I'm so excited. Me too, especially if they're gonna beat up Nazis again. Hell yes. I can watch see that all day, every someone day. asked Harrison Ford about punching Nazis. Oh my god, I love him so much. <laughs> I think I might have posted it where they were like, What how would Indiana Jones feel about like People are trying to say that it's not okay to punch Nazis or it should be illegal to punch Nazis. He's like, I'd be, he would be pushing people out of the way to be the first one to throw the punch. I was like, yes, of course yes! he would. <laughs> Indiana Jones. You get it, Harrison. <laughs> yes, he does. All right. That's it for us. Unless you were sticking around for that extended episode where we're going to be learning about an ogress. Yes. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of More Deadly. Watch The Invitation on Netflix before the next episode. And we'll be back with, I don't know, Grumble cast of some sort. <laughs> Hopefully we won't be too angry. I'm not sure what's going to happen. So stick around to find out. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks to everyone for listening. And thanks to my co-host, Ariel, who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. 
Production of this episode was done by yours truly. Editing was done by Ariel Missman Rucker. And our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Mead. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode where Ariel is about to school me about a lady, a lady killer, not a lady killer like, oh, I'm so Rico Suavecito, but like an actual <laughs> lady who kills. I assume, I guess I should not assume the gender, but ogress, <laughs> like the language structure around that makes me feel confident yes. that we're talking about like a, a femme. Yeah. Okay. We indeed are. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so going... excited to be doing a bonus or extended episode with you, Ariel. I've missed you so I much. I know. We went like both of our lives kind of blew up a little bit. And so sure we did. haven't gotten to record for like a month or something. I know. I know. It's been, this has been very nice. It's been very nice. I missed your voice. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I had to be. But we're getting back on track, people. So yeah, we expect yeah, more from us more regularly. Oh, yes. We just got to get out of Pride Month. God damn it. <laughs> It's an intense month, okay? When you it are is. a professional homosexual, it is an intense <laughs> month, okay? I know, and I joined your ranks. So. I know. Welcome. Welcome <laughs> to the ranks of professional homosexuals. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to be telling you today about Amelia Dyer, a.k.a. the Od- the Ogress of Reading, or the Reading Baby Farmer. Whoa. wow that paints like all three of those paint like very like you know you can't help but sort of like uh, mentally visualize Mm -hmm. and there's like her first name you like picture just like a lady the second one the ogress and we're getting like into like witchy (laughs) shrek territory and then Uh the baby farmer i don't even know what that looks like yeah not good no good not good (laughs) all right okay lay it on me so amelia was born in 1837 just outside of bristol england Oh, Jody! Jody, <laughs> calling all Jodies. Yeah. So, also, if I mispronounce places, I am sincerely sorry, Jody. It's spelled <laughs> like reading. I don't actually know if that's how you pronounce that town, but oh, that's a good question. I don't know because it could have some weird, like Gaelic, like it could yes, be like it totally could be could. like uh, you know leather. <laughs> <laughs> And they're just like stupid Americans calling it reading just because phonetically that's exactly what it says. (laughs) All right. So she was born just outside of Bristol, England, and she was one of five children. Her childhood, sadly, was marred by her mother's mental illness, which was caused by typhus, apparently. Um, Her mother had violent fits and poor little tiny Amelia had to care for her until her death in 1848 so she would have only been like 11 at the time of her mother's death because sadly her two other sisters because of course the boys weren't going to help um her two other sisters died when they were either very young or a baby so they were no help either i had bad luck jesus right (laughs) so later she married a man named george thomas now it is impossible to know how old she was when she got married because he was many many years her senior and so they both lied about their ages when they got married. She lied and said this she was older. This is the future of the conservatives want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 